0: Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now let's get into today's episode. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. And once again, we tune in from our sumptuous balcony here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we are going to discuss something that is very near and dear to me. Something that I could tell stories about from now until the cows mosey on home for dinner. Organizational, or rather operational pitfalls. This is getting into common inefficiencies in organizations that detract value from existing resources and how to improve Oh, that's one of the main themes in my book. Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, and for that reason alone, I'm very excited to have our guest today. Her name is Jocelyn McGee. She's the founder of uh, she is the founder of a company that helps people with their image consulting, basically. So we're going to learn more about that. Actually, no, Um, it's jmageetconsulting.com, which actually helps uh, improve operations for businesses within healthcare and retail industries. And I'm going to be very curious about that when we ask her on board. Now, going back to show you how to real-time correct yourself, when you have the correct types of operations, when you're lean, when you're agile, when you have some of the things working in your favor that Jocelyn brings to the table, such as Toyota Lean and Six Sigma Greenbelt certified expertise, then... That actually improves your image, not only to the general public, but also to the people who work for you and the members of your organization. So with that 16 years experience managing people and processes in high stakes environments, Jocelyn does help organizations become more profitable, resilient, and customer centric through operational improvements. Jocelyn McGee, come on in. The weather's fine.
1: <laughs> Hi, thanks, Adam.
0: And I think you know what I'm getting at when I say that uh, your image to the people who work within and for your organization has an impact on the image you have for your customers. So uh, when I was uh, squinting at the very small type that was on my uh, on my screen, I thought I saw imageconsulting.com, but it's actually jmcgeeconsulting.com. I was able to make that correction.
1: I noticed that. No worries.
0: Yeah. Well, for those who tune in every week, uh, they know that you're guaranteed a couple things. Number one, that listening to Business Creators Radio is like sitting in on a private mastermind session where you have – people bouncing ideas off of each other, getting inspired by what the other said. And you never quite know exactly where the conversation is going to turn, even though we have a general roadmap and we know what the destination is going to be. Number two, uh, something might set me off and I might actually uh, oblige those of you who tune in just to see if I can get really fired up. And then number three is we take a journey before we dive into the main topic. And as always, Jocelyn, what we'd like to do is discover more about what's brought you here today to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion where you're making a difference for your community, market, and audience. And just maybe to get us started as you tell us about that, you have a healthcare background and you're doing operational stuff. And it seems like there's a couple other stops you've made along the way. I heard lean. Uh, I I think I saw the word agile, which speaks to change management. Uh, what the heck is going on here?
1: <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm I, I am one for variety. Love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I get bored very easy um so basically I will try to sum this up this journey I've had um so I started my career as a nurse in Canada and um worked in various uh specialties within nursing um when I moved to Seattle I was uh, fortunate to be at a fabulous organization where I learned about uh Toyota lean and process improvement and I was hooked like I still remember that day of learning what is this um and ever since then, you know, and I've always had a mindset, um, even from when I was younger, of like, how can we do things better? I'm obsessed. Um, and it, it never turns off. Now that I know the methodologies and the verbiage, it's, I see inefficiencies everywhere and it drives me absolutely crazy. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? Let's harness this energy into helping people. So, um, so yeah, various uh, roles within healthcare. I've done everything from quality and safety to regulatory to leadership um yeah (laughs) a lot of different facets of the healthcare industry um and i just decided i wanted to focus more on the process improvement part and wanted to be able to extend that skill set to various other businesses because like i said i have tons of interests i get bored easy and i like to be able to apply my skill set to help others uh, in their businesses so that's been kind of the journey (laughs) in a nutshell
0: (laughs) yeah you know um i discovered my own love of improving operational effectiveness and overcoming operational pitfalls. And when it happened to you, would this start with like some very small thing that was going on in your workplace that sort of opened your eyes to the whole thing and set off a cascade?
1: Well, it was with this organization because it was such a strong part of the culture. So that provided a really great example of what can be done when you have a shared vision, where you have alignment and you have that embedded in the culture. While it takes time to get there, um, I was able to see it more through there, through practice of continually improving. Um, And I did my training internally. And yeah, it was more of a multitude of things. And now having been through... Various ends of healthcare, different organizations, different industries. It's yeah, there's definitely a theme. <laughs> a lot of themes. It's yeah. just something I see over and over and over and over again. It's it's crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're this what what really awakened this for me. I, it actually started with. A job I had, it was like my part time and summer job when I was in college, I worked in a fast food restaurant. So uh, I would sometimes be assigned to do what was known as the post rush operational thing, which is basically you clean up after the lunch rush or the dinner rush. Now, everybody else who did the post rush, the very first thing is they would they would run for the garbage cans like the garbage cans had honey smeared on them and they were bees or something. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, we got to get this garbage out. We got to get this garbage out. Everything, nothing happens until we take all the garbage out to the dumpster. And then I come along and I bring my garbage tamper and I tamp it down. And I don't take the garbage out. Here's why. I discovered that over 60% of the paper waste and packaging waste generated by the restaurant was done during the post-rush line operations. In other words, when they restocked the sandwich making stations. Ah. So if I could hold off taking the garbage out for 20 to 30 minutes, I could capture up to 60% of the packaging waste for the entire day and packaging waste does tend to be bulky if you've ever thrown away uh, after your holiday packaging whether you celebrate Christmas or a birthday what have you you know how bulky it is to get rid of the stuff that wrapped the presents Mm -hmm. so imagine that every day for two sandwich stations twice a day not only did holding off that half hour on taking out the garbage cause there to be Over 70% less garbage left inside the store at the time of close. So imagine you have four garbage cans and when the restaurant closes, one and a half are full versus three and a half are full. Mm -hmm. That also impacts the people who would come in at six o'clock the next morning who would be responsible for doing all the pre-opening prep, which involves involved a couple hundred pounds of hamburger patties, about 150 salads, three boxes of potatoes, two crates of lettuce. So you see where I'm going with how oh, much yes. additional waste is generated? So that, by, so that by the time the pre-rush third person came in at nine o'clock in the morning to take out the garbage, they were dealing with a normal amount versus six, you know, six be- entire cans full because they had to leave some bags aside because it was so overflowing.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, to finish my story here, and I know you have so much to tell, but I'm just giving some groundwork here. Yeah. Uh, we, Our store was also a training store where assistant managers would get trained and then certified and then they would go on to their permanent assignments. And I used to get so amused when these, I'd been there for five or six years. And these assistant managers, some of whom were younger than me, and I was in college, would then try and explain to me how post rush works and say, it's 705. When are you going to take the garbage out? It's like, it's like, like, fuck you. I mean, (laughs) I mean, what do you know? (laughs) And and when they started with that, but the policy says the policy says, well, you know what I did? I'll tell you what I did. I, and, and, I, and I brought us here for this reason, including that little pattern interrupt I shared about 30 seconds ago, because I wanted to, you know, just express viscerally how people feel sometimes about operations. <laughs> when they're being told stuff they know doesn't make sense. So I would say, I would say, oh, okay, well, also as part of post rush, we're supposed to drop and strain the French fryer. Okay, I know it's 7.05 and we still have a line out the door, but it's post rush. I'm dropping the French fryer now. uh yeah okay uh that doesn't exactly work as you can imagine you got a line of people out the door and you're disabling a third of the french fryer at a time and then dealing with uh, the time it takes for the the shortening to reheat okay yeah you want to pull that policy crap on me i'll pull it right back on you
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're armed with your weapons i love it
0: (laughs) yeah so all of this leads really to our first question and i'm glad you found the humor in all that so what in your many years of experience across these different uh, these different industries these different areas of practice these different modalities do you see are the most common pitfalls you see in organizations when it comes to operations or anything else really
1: Uh, Two things uh, are the main ones that get me every time uh, and, you know, is silos and things not being written down, Uh, a.k.a. tribal knowledge. I'm not sure if that's the right term to use anymore. Uh, I haven't found a different one. But uh, yeah, so not having things written down, whether that's expectations, job descriptions, procedures, and then also silos. It's the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing and they're both part of the same process. It's it, it drives me crazy. <laughs>
0: yeah. Tell tell me yeah. more.
1: Oh, and I love how viscerally you get about it. And plus I'm like, oh, you can curse? Great. Well, <laughs> there's a yeah, lot of yeah, that. Yeah, here. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. We're not we're not an explicit show, uh, but every so but let me here's and this is an education for our audience as well. We discovered that most of our listeners through a combination of actually speaking with people who tune into us regularly or say they tune into us regularly and looking at the consumption patterns for entrepreneurial podcasts a lot of people stream shows like the business creators radio show in the background while they're doing something else Mm -hmm. and you know how eventually it starts to sound like the teacher from peanuts (laughs) well
1: wait
0: what was that oh (laughs)
1: okay can i can
0: i rewind uh And then, oh, yeah. and, then, and then, and now, and now you have a bit more attention. And, and the other thing I like to bring up is, you know, we have this, and I and I know this because I have an MBA that you get taught this rosy, candy-eyed vision of what the world is and the business world is supposed to be like. Then you find out what really brings home the bacon, what really turns the wheels. Oh yeah. And and absolutely. And, 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 there, and and if you're and if you are expecting somebody in your organization to comply with organizational charts and procedure charts that were drawn by somebody who had probably never actually even been in the back of one of those restaurants oh. and expect them to not mutter obscenities or even say them out loud (laughs) when you're telling them things that they know are like the dumbest thing ever that were obviously created by somebody who's never even been in one of these places that's how the world really works and when you start to get those sentiments you got problems
1: oh god you're you're speaking my language
0: it drives me crazy things in a vacuum so so i don't know if you've ever done any um you know employee type surveys uh oh yeah or 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 360 reviews or anything like that where you have the management that has their vision of okay well you know i do things great and i provide opportunities and a happy workplace and i just don't know what it is about molly over there she just seems to she just doesn't seem to be in line with the mission and the vision then you speak with molly who uh who uh, describes working in a gulag and thinks that her <laughs> manager is uh out out to get her specifically and you're wondering how did we get here
1: oh well i can tell you <laughs> all right please <laughs> do. I've asked the same thing please yeah do. i i think the thing is i feel like unfortunately cus- um employees end up being the scapegoat for a lot of things like you said and it drives me crazy uh even just recently I was at a retail store um and they had some special promotion or something going on where they wanted the employees to remind people at the cash register about some certain deal or whatever it was yeah. and you know and then I hear the leader oh, I already told them I told them 10 times they got to do this and blah, blah 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 and just venting and I kind of want to turn around and be like that's not their fault this is your fault like you can't tell you know we're all just big kids walking around you can't tell people something and expect them to do their thing day to day and just expect them to remember that's i i I more and more don't understand what leaders are for because to me leadership when when you have a strong organization you have leaders that understand what their role is and that their role is to give the tools and resources needed for your employees that's why i always emphasize not only focusing on your external customers but also your internal ones which are your employees because if because if it's just it's just connected because if they're not happy your customers aren't going to be happy so whatever you end up designing can't be in a vacuum you need to understand at the front lines what the ins and outs of their system are and you need a relationship with your team to so they can be candid with you about what's going on because that's where the need that's where the gold is and people i think are just I don't know what it is. I think sometimes people just don't want to be, you know, death by committee and involving staff too much. It's almost like this old authoritative way of doing things. And it's it's antiquated as far as I'm concerned. So I feel just like you said, it's like it, most people don't wake up wanting to go to work and get fired and do a bad job. People go trying to do try to do their best for the most part and it's often they don't have the tools and resources to do what's expected of them and what is expected of them is is not even written down anywhere so it's yeah and so I feel like like I said I feel like a lot of times employees are the scapegoat for oh well it's the employee's fault well that's a nice quick conclusion but that is that's bullshit it really is like it's your fault it's it's your fault it ain't their fault What are you doing? What are you doing about it? If you have not rectified it, then what are you doing?
0: Yeah, I, I gotta stop right there because (laughs) I heard, I heard in that very, very, very nice answer you gave, I heard the words committee and antiquated within Mm -hmm. basically the same sentence or in in adjacent sentences. Are you telling, are you telling me that meetings are a waste of time?
1: Oh, well, that's a whole nother story, yes. Uh, A lot of times, yes, I do. I do think they are, uh, oh, it's just a bunch of of dung beetles pushing crap around.
0: (laughs) Okay, so how how do we fix that? Because I have my own ideas on it, but we have you here because I want to get some different insights on this.
1: Um, Well, when it comes to meetings, I think uh, one of the first things is uh, what we refer to in my biz as setup reduction, which is... How can you be more efficient by the time you all get the asses in the seats? So to me, it's like, okay, here's some things we want people to get. When they come to the table, we have the alignment on what we need to understand when we get there and then be clear on what the objective is when we get out of there. So I I think that's a big part of it. I think people, you, you you need to come together with a very clear objective and you need to be able to make sure that everyone's on the same page when they get in the door.
0: Yeah. I think there's a few things going on myself. And I want to run some of my theories by you to get your thoughts because you have such a deep and broad background in the organizational and operational thing specifically. I believe that in a lot of cases, meetings are a classic case of creating activity as a substitute for action. I, oh. I see I see a lot of that.
1: And part and, I'm part, snapping. Of, I love yes, it.
0: and part of my and part of my work with developing virtual teams in the entrepreneurial space. I know that I have accomplished something when you have a business owner or a business leader who loves having meetings and wants to have meetings, and then they're in the middle of something really big. They're preparing for the big promotion. They have a conference coming up. They are Mm -hmm. this close to going into revenue on a launch. And pretty much anything has to do with the money flowing in. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the business leader says, You know, let's let's have a meeting to see where we are. And all the people around them say, no, we're good. (laughs) When we accomplish that, that's when I know that a couple things have happened. Number one, that people have made the transition from activity to action in their own mind and recognize the action that leads to revenue. Number two, that's actually a very positive sign that that leader has shown their people they're approachable. Where the people mm-hmm. say now recognize, oh, I don't have to take advantage of this window of me being granted a meeting. I can say no, I don't need the meeting right now. We're in the middle of getting this done because I know that if I actually need this leader, I can contact them and they'll help me.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's one of my bosses, uh, one of my mentors throughout my career. Yeah, it was the same thing. Come in and give me the bullet points if you need anything. Otherwise, you know, otherwise do your thing because. I was able to go to them if I needed anything. But I I would tack on to what you said that, frankly, I think the leadership needs to be more in tune with their frontline operations, whatever those are. So to me, if you need to have a meeting to find out where things are and to get you clued in, you should already be clued in. You just should be able to see where the updates are, because if you're just off doing your own thing and your team is doing something else, you shouldn't have to waste their time to get you caught up you should have a pulse on what's happening and how it's progressing is it's funny how I the, look at it.
0: <laughs> it's, fun, it's funny you use the phrase clued in because that's actually on a list I maintain of words and phrases. If you ever hear them in a business or operational context, something is seriously wrong.
1: Oh, in most places that's there like, there
0: that, <laughs> that. That phrase clued in is one of the ones I highlight. If you ever hear that, pause what you're doing. <laughs> and recognize something has already gone off the rails and has probably tumbled halfway down the hillside by this, by this point.
1: Oh, absolutely agree, yes.
0: Yeah. 100%. Yeah, so more about meetings. Uh, w- one of the things that I have coached my clients to do, because I discovered it works through my own experience, is particularly when you have work group meetings or committee meetings or something that's more or less repetitive that is important. Because the funny thing about meetings, particularly in the virtual space, is if you have a scheduled meeting once a week or once every two weeks, what have you, that's actually very important for team building because it gives people an opportunity to get to know each other more as people, which actually facilitates their asynchronous work the rest of the time because you get to see the person, hear them, and understand this is a human being that has their own agenda, that has their own Willingness and desire to contribute and make the organization better for them being in it, etc., etc., etc. So, to facilitate that and to facilitate the meetings being places of innovation, of action versus activity, I do two things. First of all, identify the purposes of the folks in the meeting. Because if you've ever been in some committee meeting that has 32 members and all 32 members are supposed to speak.
1: Oh God, no.
0: Okay. You know, you know, okay. Yeah. I, I caught the sarcasm in that one. And uh, in the mo in the moment uh, there are 32 people in the room and all 32 of them have a speaking role. That's a, now that's another place. I know that not only have we gone over the rails, we probably tumbled halfway down the hillside. Oh. Look at the people in the room and I encourage people to attempt to fit the people in the room to into one of four different classifications the first is your leader for your facilitator maybe there's two of them that's that's your first group the second are the participants those are the ones whose contributions actually drive the content and the goals of the meeting the third group are the seconds And the seconds are the people who come with the participants. So you bring somebody else with you. Now, the role of the second is usually not to have a speaking role of their own, but to be called upon by the participant they're traveling with. If the participant needs to turn to somebody and say, uh, yeah, Jocelyn, uh, was that, am I saying that right about, uh, about our numbers? And then mm-hmm. you would act as my second in that, in that scenario to clarify whatever what it was I was trying to clarify. Also, if for some reason I can't make it, if I'm the one of the participants, the fact that you're there as my second every week means you'll now be accepted as being able to speak in my place. And then you have the fourth group, the observers. They don't need to say anything. And in many cases, they don't want to. They're only there so they can be in a loop. So when we go around and we say, we say, Molly, do you have anything to contribute? Jordan, how about you? What about you, Justin? Uh, how about how about you, Blake? Uh, Aisha, do you have anything, Martha? And they feel compelled to speak paragraphs of paragraphs of paragraphs of jargon that all come down to the word no, because they've been put on the spot and they're afraid that they will be looked down upon if they don't contribute as part of the team and treat us to paragraphs and paragraphs a blather that amount to the word no I don't actually have anything to contribute here mm-hmm. they feel put on the spot they feel put upon where then, then there's me if I'm in, a, if I'm in, a, in a, an observer role I've been on committees like for conference planning and I was actually there as the second to my client So I didn't have an official speaking role or I was there because I just wanted to be in the loop of what was going on. And they would come to me and uh, it's like, do you have anything to contribute? I say, no. What? (laughs) What? Somebody gave a one word answer. And then I just let the silence sit there. I let it, I let them enjoy it for a moment. And I say, yeah, I, the answer is no. I have nothing to contribute, or no, I don't need any assistance, or yes, I get it. I don't need four paragraphs to convey something I can say with one word. I'm not well, going to waste you. Yeah. I'm not going to waste you all's time.
1: Yeah, and again, like we said, antiquated. It's just like it, it, I think we always need to go into anything with the why. Why are we doing this? Is is it just the pomp and circumstance of like? You know oh we're involved and we're we have teamwork and all of that or is it are we actually here to accomplish something because if it's the answer is no then we need to not bother and and to yeah. me that almost sounds like a grandiose way of you know again with the pomp and circumstance thing is how i would call it of getting everyone together getting everyone together and doing and it's like frankly we shouldn't have to do a big thing like that to catch people up people should already be consistently in the know a little bit. Like, I mean, checking in for more, you know, things you need to accomplish. But for the most part, that's the thing. There's not enough continual shared understanding among all the layers of an organization.
0: Yeah. Now, there's a few things and what we've discussed here that I want to surface. Let's start with this whole idea of the pump and circumstance. So there are a few different ways we can go with this. And I use meetings as the springboard Mm -hmm. to go from micro to more macro. Mm -hmm. One of the trends I see is sometimes organizations go so far to try to be inclusive of people. And I don't mean inclusive from like a diversity standpoint. I mean, inclusive of let's make sure everybody has their opportunity to say seven paragraphs where, I believe that with pro- proper structuring, you can design it where you have people who can meet and create the general idea. Then just to make sure nobody gets left out, there may be work groups, there may be department heads, there may be project coordinators or what have you. You run it by them to check with them to make sure you're not missing anything that's glaringly obvious to them because they're the person on the front lines who knows that if you just wait 15 damn minutes on the garbage uh you're going to create huge organizational benefits so you make sure everybody's voice is heard that way uh so what do you think other than this sense of well let's make sure we don't leave everybody out without thinking about other ways to make sure everybody's included the pomp and circumstance gets in the way of organizational effectiveness
1: ah well i think part of the pomp and circumstance thing having you know with it's misguided and some of it's antiquated so to me when I think of that is more of having people included is part of the culture and that's that's a bigger longer goal I understand for people that's like turning around the ship however I've seen it where the whole culture it, it should be it's not about doing these events about doing these things about like, well, how do we get everyone included? Everyone needs to be included continually from the get-go. Where I've seen it very effective is in, again, you need to have a consistent presence and dialogue with the voice of your customer. Like I said, the external and the internal ones. Um, and where I found the most effective organizations are the one where it's, everyone's on a team and it's very transparent from the top down. Um, and I don't like top down because I think that speaks to hierarchy and whatnot, but just for the sake of the levels in an organization from C-suite to the ones at the front line, um, it's about continually involving your staff in a way that can work for them. Because I think we also need to recognize individuality. Some people are more introverts. Some people value different things or want to be recognized in a different way. Um, So I think we need to consider that. But I think it's all about, for example, one of the places I had been was a healthcare organization. And one of the things we continually did in our very large department um, was I tracked and trend issues that were going on um, when we were progressing with solutions. We had something on the board there right next to the information where people could submit anonymously their thoughts, their solutions, um, anything. And so keeping that level of transparency, I think shows respect for people in an organization that they're not just a cog in the wheel that they're part they are because everybody in that organization is part of what's going on and we need to treat it it as such so to me it's it should again it shouldn't be these events it should just be continual there needs to be that continual dialogue and two-way feedback I find without that way to communicate and have them communicate with you you're not going to get that continual information so I think you make a great point about having that culture where the leader is present and people know they can go up and talk to them, there needs to be more of that. Um, So I think they're usually the connection for your staff to the bigger picture of what's going on behind the scenes. And it needs to be, um, you need to have a system that works for your organization where you can have that back and forth. Um, To tack on, the last thing I'll say about that is when I approach improvement efforts at organizations, no matter what the process is, it involves every, it involves a representation of everybody that contributes to said process and it also includes a pair of outside eyes because you need someone that can look on the outside and be able to give some objective feedback because most of the time people are in the weeds they don't understand what so you know betty and the next department's doing and it's like it's very much this us versus them mentality so it's a long yeah. game in, in essence it's how do you conduct yourselves on a daily basis in a way that people are included um, and have a voice and show them that you're doing something with that voice and i think that takes time for people to see that you're actually listening and you're actually applying their thoughts to your processes. So as you're developing them, they're a lot more likely to comply because they were part of creating the solution.
0: Yeah, I think that's, and I made the point on other episodes, to make sure that you're not evaluating or leaving the sense that you're evaluating the value of a human being based on their position on the organizational chart. I've seen situations where a person's ability to "quote unquote" tell "quote unquote" the truth was measured by how high or how low they were on the organizational chart. I have mm-hmm. heard stories of people of, of somebody actually being told, "Look, you are just this. You are just an assistant." Oh. So, so when a, so when a direct so when so when a director says something that contradicts what you say they're right and you're wrong which means if that director says the earth is flat not only is it up to you to agree with them that the earth is flat but to apologize for arguing with them that it's round
1: that sounds about right
0: and you, and, and, you know the thing is the way you laugh and the way you say that you've heard stories that maybe take 10 percent of that hyperbole away you get that in organizations and then you wonder why folks check out
1: Well, especially in healthcare, you know, uh, provider and staff burnout's been a thing for a while, which makes sense. Oh my God, how many times I've heard like, oh, well, they're just a nurse, or the nurse will do it, or, um, yeah, well, I'm the one who's there making sure the patient doesn't die, so... I'd say I'm um, more than just a nurse, like yeah. <laughs> in the greater scheme of this, I'm making sure you don't get your ass sued. Like in essence, so there's something for you. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I, so. I, I, I,
0: I could I see an example, the nurse, the CNA or what have you, they're the ones to see what effect or what side reactions the medication has on the patients after the doctor has already prescribed that move on to the next patient. So they yeah. both have a role to play. It's up for the doctor to make the diagnosis and to make a diagnosis based on their information and what they know about the patient, and then it's the nurse, the CNA, or the aide, or whatever, it's their role to convey as accurately as possible to the doctor through giving reports, maintaining the patient's chart, or what have you, what's going on, so that the doctor knows what's going on. To make the prescription in the first place, and then to monitor that so they can page the doctor if something's going wrong in terms of side effects or something along those lines, or if, or if there's a market improvement, which means they may need to change the prescription early. So as I see it, they have a symbiotic role. One cannot be without the other. So not one is just a versus the other being something else. They're, I mean, it's like yin and yang. That's how I look at it.
1: Well, and I would completely agree. And I think that's the problem. And I don't, I don't understand why we haven't, why collectively industries haven't made that shift. Um, And that is to looking at operations more comprehensively and understanding that no operation is a lone Island. You have upstream and you have downstream people that are involved and will be affected by whatever change you make along that stream um, or what we call the value stream. And it, I just don't understand why that is. People aren't accounting for everything as a whole. I always like to say, they can't see the forest through the trees because right. they're just, they don't see the whole picture. They're just looking at the pieces. And, I'm, and what I'm saying is, yeah, you gotta, you gotta look at every, all the six W's that are going on in that process to understand. And you need to consider that, yeah, it's, there's no, I've not seen an operation yet that's a Lone Island.
0: Correct. So when I hear things that remind me of somebody being evaluated in terms of their worth as a person because they're higher or lower on an organizational chart, all I can think of is most organizational charts look like pyramids. And if you weaken the lower label, the whole lower layer, the whole thing's just going to collapse.
1: Yeah, but people don't treat it that way.
0: And and it can happen in a hundred subtle ways that don't amount to anybody actually doing anything wrong. Uh, you want to know you want to know how to tell if somebody either has a short timers disease or are already looking at other horizons or have just pretty much checked out is see if they have a printed copy of their job description and see how many coffee rings it has on it. <laughs> you know you know you know what I'm getting at, and I've been there myself to the point where. You become blissfully aware of your job description and you're checking it to make sure that what you're being asked is actually there. And a kind of common reason people do that is because they've gone above and beyond out of enthusiasm for wanting to make the organization successful and been told that's not their job. So you do that to somebody enough times and they're going to say, okay, well, I'm going to show up and do my job. And as long as it's on this list and I do it, uh, I... I'm going to get my paycheck and if it's not on this list and I don't do it then I can kick up a fuss. So let them try.
1: Well, I mean I'm I'm a living example of that. Every organization I've been to, you know, I'm I'm con- I'm constantly the catalyst, I'm constantly the challenger and internally people don't like that. They don't like when you're reflecting what's going on and why you're pushing to make things better you know I'm, i was really surprised by that so yeah i'm a perfect example of that instead mm-hmm. i had to make the big leap of going out on my own uh to yeah. do it because i really care about what i do i have tons of energy. And I love to help people. And when that's not seen or recognized at an organization, then it's time to go. So I thought to myself, all right, I'll just do my thing. I cannot be stopped. So I might as well go out there and help everybody I can. Because trying to adjust internally to somewhere that doesn't have the right values, or more importantly, doesn't go at the pace I do, then yeah. (laughs) It's like, let me go in, help, and then move on. yeah i mean i'm a perfect example of that it's just continual going to organizations seeing the inefficiencies and people not being willing to make the moves it's frustrating
0: (laughs) i think you speak for a lot of folks who have at one time or or another been labeled unemployable
1: i don't know if i would have said that word (laughs) Because I, because I,
0: because I, because I've been called that, I've been called that many times, the, and I, and I take it as a badge of honor.
1: I've not heard that one, but I definitely get more of the, uh, uh, I don't know. I'd say assertive. I mean, that's one the women can relate to out there.
0: Yeah, Uh, certainly. Absolutely. (laughs) And I, and believe me, I know what you're talking about.
1: Oh yeah. You're too aggressive. Well, no, I'm trying to get shit done. Like, is that why we're here? Like, (laughs) that's where I get confused. And they're like, oh, well, that's not your job. And oh, no, that's beyond, you're not privy to that. All right, well, then I'll privy myself to my own business. And if you're not going to include me, and you're not, it's basically being underutilized, which, by the way, is one of the eight wastes, which is underutilized talent. And Uh I think that's a rampant issue. Um, I mean, I'm definitely an example of that. If I feel underutilized, I'm out. Cause I want to be, I want to actually do the work and do and see improvements. But when I'm not allowed to do that, oh yeah, I get frustrated as hell. I'm like, oh, it's time to go. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I need to
0: move. Well, here's what I discovered. And this is actually a policy that my consulting firm, the Business Creators Institute has. If uh, I ever ask a client for information and they use a phrase like, that's none of your concern. I say, okay, okay, we're done.
1: Yep seriously
0: I mean, people, I, 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 are, yeah. I, I mean i i mean i i have learned that both the easy way and the hard way that's it you ever tell me something's not of my concern and we're done working together just like that i love the it point, the point being is if i need information to be of service to you to help you achieve more to serve from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion to make a difference for your community and market and audience, it is my concern. That is not up for discussion. Just like you as the client are entitled to any information you need from me to understand what I'm doing. See how it works both ways.
1: And and, and, and,
0: and it goes back to the yin-yang symbiotic thing.
1: Absolutely. That's one of my intake forms when I sit down on, like, probably a second conversation with a client. I list out very clearly here's what you can expect out of me. Here's what I'm going to need out of you. Um, my last client, I did that. I said, if you want this done in a week, you need to make sure that your team responds to me within 24 hours because I need their feedback in order to map out your process. So, yeah. if, and you know, they're like, oh, well, so and so is traveling. I'm like, well, then I can't get you would, like, we, yeah it needs to be a two-way street I think too often yeah people think well if, just have like a magic wand or something <laughs>
0: if it, well if, if someone's traveling if this is business travel they're still on the clock so they still got to check their email when they land at the hotel uh and if they're on vacation then who t- then who picks up their slack who steps in for them I mean there 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 are always answers to that question
1: well, yeah, and I think it's, I think a manager or someone had told me this along my career, they call it the three legged stool, which is you sit down when you're first working with a boss or a client and you say, well, one leg of the stool, okay, here's what you can expect from me and as you can imagine thus far I'm very transparent I'm like I'm direct you yes. can expect, um, I'm, I'm direct. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. It's not ill-intentioned. It's just the way I am. Um, and, you know, you can expect I get back to you within 24 hours, blah, 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 all these things. Then it's, what can I expect from you? They give me the rundown of them. And then it's, okay, what's the third leg? Okay, where? how are we going to come together to get what you're looking for? Um, so that's what I always do. and I think it's important because people need to understand their part of it as well.
0: That's a good way of looking at it. So what we're doing is looking at your truth, your client's truth, and finding out how that meshes together to create a shared truth, basically.
1: Yeah, so there's 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 no surprises in the end. There's no miscommunication yeah. about, well, that's not what we agreed to. Well, no, we already sat down and agreed to, what are we on the same page for? Um, and that's about getting clear communication and understanding from the get-go.
0: Right, because I have shared so many times over the years that there's no such thing as the truth. People say, what? Mm. There's no such thing as the truth? Yeah, that's correct. There's no such thing as the the truth. Uh, Each of us has our own truth Mm -hmm. that is based on how we interpret observations, facts, and situations through the lens of our own experience and worldview. Exactly. When three people witness an incident that... They all look at it like, let's say they witness an incident where somebody gets hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Three people can look at that. They can give three different, mutually contradictory accounts of what they witnessed, all three of them under polygraph by the same examiner, using the same equipment, using the same tests, and they can all pass because polygraph equipment and polygraph assessments don't fact check they test for <laughs> signs of prevarication which is lying uh, a knowing distortion of facts versus perceiving something through the lens of your own truth right well uh, and 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 I'm and I'm going to mention something just very briefly and I and I'll qualify this by saying I'm I'm christian myself so you know don't Go down any roads. If you're listening to this, I've had people say, "Oh, oh, there's no such thing as the truth, huh?" Well the, well, the well, 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 the truth is that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and the truth is that Jesus died on the cross. And I say, okay, tell that to a Hindu. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, uh, I, uh, it, it's even with even within Christianity, there are different. Uh, There are different churches, there are different sects, there Mm -hmm. there are even different versions of the Bible that look at events differently and look at the stories differently and look at the interpretations and how they worship and what they worship differently than others do. Does it make one more or less Christian? No, it doesn't. What it simply means is you have different folks looking at facts presented to them through the lens of their own experience and worldview and coming up with their truth based upon it. Doesn't make one person right or wrong. But when you recognize that everybody has their own truth, now you have a place where everybody can share that and you can see all the facts laid out and you can arrive at something in many cases that people hold in common.
1: Exactly. And that's why I I love to see when I get people first together on a project and, you know, from different areas of the value stream, the outside eyes, and to see once they come together and we map out the ins and outs of the process, their feedback, everything. It's amazing. And I feel like you can see people come together on that. And when when you show that to the stakeholders, yeah, some don't want to see it, but nevertheless, it's it's amazing. It's amazing to see people come together in alignment and to have a uh-huh. shared understanding based on quantifiable data.
0: You know, it's interesting you mentioned stakeholders because over the course of our conversation, we have touched on several areas of the practice of change management. We've discussed being lean. We've discussed being agile without using those exact words. Mm -hmm. And now we're getting into one of the key areas of change management, which is sponsorship.
1: Is what? Sorry?
0: Sponsorship. Uh, Uh Yeah, because you mentioned sponsors. So uh, you mentioned sponsors and you also have stakeholders, sponsors and stakeholders. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's an entire discipline within the change management field that deals with sponsors and deals with stakeholders. Without your sponsors, without your stakeholders, your initiative is likely to fail, which means all this stuff that you're looking to do in terms of getting people more engaged and overcoming the common operational pitfalls ain't going to get you nowhere.
1: Right. Oh, got,
0: yeah. If, yeah. It, if it if it doesn't if it doesn't have the backup from your sponsors and your stakeholders, I mean, I can go back to when I worked in fast food and uh, the uh, and the central office with their people who know how to draw org charts in PowerPoint, but have never actually been inside a restaurant, <laughs> come down with all these new workflows that are supposed to make things more efficient, and uh, you, and you send them down to us. And you know, we try them once just to show that you know we knew it was bullshit going in. So we do it just once just to show what a disaster it is. And then we and then we and then we go back to doing it the way we did before. And yep. if, and if the central office asks, we will say, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll we're absolutely doing exactly as you said." And and here's the paperwork where we signed off and said we did it. <laughs> and 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 and, and, the, and and the people saying that will have one hand with two fingers crossed and one hand with one finger extended, as they say it.
1: Oh, I've not heard that one, but yeah, that's,
0: yeah. What you have there is you've lost your stakeholder. Your stakeholder thinks you're a joke. Your stakeholder is lying to you just to make you go away so that you can put on your report. Oh yeah, they're in compliance.
1: Oh, there's so much of that. It's disgusting. Meanwhile,
0: they're making (laughs) fun of you and they're probably mocking you while they're doing the work. (laughs) It's like, Hey, yeah. Hey, 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 make sure, make sure according to the org chart that you, you, you hold the, you hold the, the head of lettuce upside down instead of sideways. ha.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so true. It's these you better get that
0: garbage out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And funny for people that don't want to be treated like robots, people sure act like robots. Well, we've, my, my big one is Oh, we've always done it that way. Oh, Jesus. What, what, what does that have to do with anything?
0: Oh, I I, I hate it. I love that one. When somebody, whenever I, whenever I hear the phrase, we've always done it that way. I say, yeah. And in spite of that, somehow you've managed to survive in business up until now.
1: Oh, it's, it's shocking. I don't understand how some of these big companies, it's like, Oh, good Lord. Uh, like well, if they can do it with all of these inefficiencies, I sure as hell can do it. So. Oh yeah. You know, well,
0: well, well, Jocelyn, do you know the one about Great Grandma and the pan of roast?
1: Oh yes, yes. I just I heard that very recently. Actually. I'll say
0: I'll, I'll say it brief, very briefly for our viewers. Yes. A, man, a man asks his wife why she cuts off the end of the roast before she puts it in the pan, and she says, "My mother told me that it allows the juices to get in and makes it a much better roast." so the man asks his mother-in-law the mother-in-law tells him the same thing yeah we cut off the ends because it lets the juices get inside and makes for a much better roast my mother told me that well turns out the grandmother-in-law is still around so he goes to the grandmother-in-law and and, uh, and said what you know why do you why do you cut the ends off the roast before you put it in the pan he says well during the depression we were poor and we couldn't afford a bigger pot it's the only way we can make the roast fits
1: I know I love
0: it yeah the point the point being behind that is so many roles and policies are permanent overreactions to temporary blips on the radar
1: it's it's
0: that one one little thing goes wrong and now we have to have a committee and we have to have meetings we have to develop processes and accountability and analyze what happens and put steps in place to ensure this doesn't happen again whereas in most cases a simple just be careful with that next time, Molly would we'll do the job.
1: Uh, maybe, maybe not in healthcare, but yeah, most places, absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, I, I I understand with healthcare when you literally have lives on the line. I get that. But I think even within healthcare, there may be some cases where yes. it gets documented and processed to death. Oh, and, absolutely. And, and, and and it's very frightening to say that because healthcare and death you could get into literal meanings of that
1: oh absolutely so So now
0: you have a process in place for assessing a patient and what they're going through that could get in the way of a diagnosis that could save their life because (laughs) because somebody messed up once so we had committees and meetings and accountability and review and action steps meanwhile a counseling session with that doctor that nurse could have solved the whole thing
1: you know, it's it's funny you're saying that because in healthcare, there was actually an instance where we had to change our whole process for uh, living donors, uh, for living kidney donors. Um, and that's where, you know, two people go into the operating room and it's a live donor as opposed to a cadaver donor. And we had to change our whole process because somewhere in Iowa, um, they were doing a live donor case and they accidentally... Tossed the kidney down one of the hoppers, like the big sinks that flush down. Um,
0: Ooh,
1: oh, great. yes. So yeah. I had to coordinate with the transplant team, the operating room, and everyone else involved because we had to shift our processes. We had to change them fast because regulatory came out and said this has happened. We got to tighten things up to make sure it doesn't happen again. So industries, like so, all you organizations, yeah, go fix it. So we had to turn around our whole process and get things in place for that. So yeah. Yeah, I'm glad
0: you I'm glad you brought that up because in that case it, it actually is absolutely appropriate to have all those things, the committees, the meetings, the uh the accountability, the the the, the process and the uh and the measures in place to stop this from ever happening again cuz now we're dealing with lives. Now, right. Now, sometimes that exact same thing gets translated down to how to get pencils from the office supply cabinet.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. There's got to be there's got to be a, a a balance like with anything. Well, so Absolutely. and sometimes
0: there's a real world thing. My dad told me this story. He he's retired now. For years, he was at the manager and director level in the trucking industry. He. Went and became the foreman of a, of a different terminal, uh, a shipping terminal. And he was told when he came in that there was a little bit of a problem with leakage of office supplies, if you know what I mean.
1: Ah, yes. So he
0: had an innovative way of dealing with this. He placed probably the largest office supply order on record. I mean, just loaded up with pens, staplers, paper clips, anything, rollers, whatever you needed for the office. And just let and just let people uh, take what they needed for about a week. Then he called them together and he said, "Okay, so you guys got enough office supplies that you don't have to take from us anymore." So it was sort of his way of calling out the behavior in a way that was actually humorous, and people got the point. And after that, the problem was mitigated substantially. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, it was just him having fun with the whole situation. Uh, and sometimes if you have a little bit of fun and you do something like that, it can make the point much more effectively. I mean, look here, I'm telling the story uh, two decades later after I heard this. But yeah, that's that's how he that's how he dealt with it. He just, you know, ordered a whole bunch of office supplies and let people get all the pens and paper and paper clips they needed. And then said, "All right, you guys good now? You don't have to take any more from us. And then everybody could have a good laugh on it, but the organizational change that was necessary, which was to get people to stop raiding the office supply cabinet, was more effectively implanted, where they recognized that, you know, actually, that was probably a bad thing, and we got to just not do that anymore.
1: Right. Right. And then it's well. How do we prevent us from backsliding? That's where that's Yeah. A big one. yeah, yeah. Where,
0: where, whereas if he had decided to go through and open people's drawers and count the number of pens they had in there, and say, "Why do you have four staplers?" and start writing people up and firing them, they probably would have started stealing more office supplies just to just to say, "Okay, hey, the hell with you. I got six, <laughs> I, I got six staplers now. Come at me, boy."
1: Exactly. <laughs> now that's exactly it. And yeah. I would totally agree with that.
0: Yeah, so um, in the end, in the end, I think what we have to understand here when it comes to this whole thing of or operational pitfalls, they come from relationships with human beings uh, and recognizing that every human being plays a very important role in the process, regardless of their position on an org chart, uh, regardless of whether you think they should have a voice. But there's also a caveat of how do you make sure the voices are included in a way that everybody feels like they make a difference and at the same time, it doesn't create an organizational cluster. That's what I get out of everything you've shared with us today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's maintaining the cohesiveness and alignment in the org and making sure you have systems in place to continually monitor and have those conversations.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So as we wrap up here, and we are near the top of the hour, we could probably do this for like three more hours. As I mentioned earlier, Please. sometimes, <laughs> some, some, sometimes, you know, a lot of our episodes do feel like conversations between people just bouncing concepts related to business creation and entrepreneurship, and getting inspired by each other's stories saying, "Oh, Oh, yeah, that reminds me of a time that and you get the lessons through the Socratic and anecdotal, anecdotal method. Before we wrap up here, Joss, I want to give you just a moment here. Uh, For those who may be on the edge of their seat looking to take this to the next level with their organization or with themselves, how do they contact you and what do they have to look forward to expect?
1: Well, uh, let's start with what to expect. Um, I think what they can expect with me is a ton of focus, a ton of energy, and a lot of vigilance because that's my background. Um, And I'm just there to get in, help people, and get the BS out of the business. Just let's go in, let's address it, let's do it, and then let's be done with it and make sure that you're set up in the future to sustain your gains that we made. Um, So that's definitely what people can expect for me, I like to consider myself kind of like the fixer. You got a problem? Yeah. you call? I'll help you clean up the scene. <laughs> <laughs> I like and that. Make, and to make sure you don't get caught again. <laughs> um, so uh, so that's what they can expect from me. As far as where to find me, um, you can find me at uh, LinkedIn, um, Jocelyn Berger McGee or Jocelyn McGee, you'll find me in there. Um, and the both of those areas have the link my link tree to all my other sites for twitter facebook all the things
0: <laughs> oh great all the thing all the things, all so the that, things. and make sure everybody you say j mcgee consulting not image consulting i was reading some very small point font on my e. computer monitor here and i missed that it's j mcgee so, yeah, so Joss, yeah so jocelyn mcgee thank you so much for being with us today it's been an honor and education and frankly a hell of a lot of fun
1: I agree. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. All right.
0: Well, for our listeners, we trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.